Well, it's fun to come to this portion in the conference. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful job by our speakers. Will you join me in thanking them? John, I'm going to begin with you. You are our leader. You can grab a microphone and uh, we can pass that along on the side. John, have you been happy with this event? And what are your thoughts on this gathering of the Gospel Reformation Network? Hello? Yeah, you're good. Uh, thanks, Mel. Yeah, very, very encouraged, um, you know, to be able to work with a group of friends, uh, ministers, uh, like the ones on this, this platform. You, you know it's going to be a solid, uh, faithful, pastoral, theologically sound, and that's what we've, we've received, I think, uh, this week. And uh, I've heard a lot of encouragement from those who have attended, and um, the singing has been rousing. Um, so thankful for John Haynes and his leadership uh, there, and, uh, and, and, and Briarwood has done a marvelous job always of, do. of welcoming us. John, when we get together, one of the things that I always appreciate about you is that you encourage uh, the elder, the minister, uh, to pursue Christ and to be a man of Christian piety. Would you speak with us just a little bit as we reflect on the lessons of pastoral piety today? Yes, thank you, Mel. Um, I think it was a few years ago that we focused on that subject for a year uh, on the, uh, you know, in the GRN materials and website. And uh, pastoral piety is really at the heart of what we're trying to communicate uh, to the PCA. We've seen a, a waning of it, I think, over time. I think um, uh, there's a lot of distractions for us, but the, 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 the impulse uh, of the Christian life is to spend time with God. And I remember as a new Christian, uh, how I longed to just spend time in the Bible and, uh, and read good books, and, and it's really all I wanted to do in those early days. And I think sometimes being in the pastorate, uh, that can be lost. We can, crazy enough, get too busy for God while we're in the ministry. And uh, we are to be Christians first, and then pastors. Uh, we are to be sheep first and then shepherds. Uh, we're always to remember that the ministry, sometimes people will say things like, well, uh, John, when do you get your spiritual nourishment? Um, because I know you're working on the Lord's Day, so how, do you, how are you encouraged? I, I, I say, I, I'm under the same ministry of the word that you are. Um, I'm, I'm taking, partaking of the Lord's Supper just as, as you are. I am being nourished and encouraged and strengthened on the Lord's Day as you are. And so that's central to my piety is Lord's Day observance and receiving the means of grace that I'm administering on the Lord's Day. It's not as, I, as if I look for it somewhere else uh, rather than in my own congregation. Um, but I think that Joel Beakey's emphasis, uh, which we see emphasized in the Puritans, is helpful. We have personal piety, family piety, and corporate piety. And as ministers, we ought to pursue all of those. We ought to spend time with God uh, daily, uh, putting on the armor of God, reading the scriptures, bowing our heads in prayer, uh, seeking God. Uh, like Psalm 63 says, um, I hunger and thirst after you as in a, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Uh, reading devotional material, reading good books, um, by RHB and the Banner of Truth and elsewhere, good biography. Uh, these are important parts of our, our personal piety, family piety. I never feel uh, like more of a man and more of a husband and more of a leader than when I'm sitting with my family 
in my living room, Bible open, reading the scriptures, exhorting my kids, encouraging my wife, praying together, singing psalms and hymns together. Uh, that is something I think that's missing even in a lot of ministers' homes these days, and it needs to be recovered. It's such an encouragement to our own souls. Um, and then, of course, the corporate piety side. So piety should be at the center uh, of what we understand as the ministerial calling. Thank you, John. Uh, we have a, a veritable feast of Presbyterian ministers up here, and I want to hear from each of you today. I want us to go briefly down the, the road. Jason, we'll begin with you if you could apprehend that wireless. Uh, I'd like for each of you to tell us something that you're reading or that you've recently read that's been helpful. Give us one snippet of something that you're reading or have recently read that would be beneficial to the people. Yeah, we were just talking uh, about this uh, with our staff at University Reformed Church. Uh, we're working through Carl Truman's uh, recent book on uh, critical theory, and uh, it's just been a wonderful book to work through, especially for our staff. We're in a college setting, and uh, this is rife throughout our culture, but especially our young people are imbibing this and don't even know it, and he does a wonderful job of just diagnosing it and walking you through uh, how these things have come together. Uh, it's been helpful for our staff. It's been helpful for us as we're trying to be equipped uh, in these things that have come on in a, a rush uh, so that we can equip our people to understand these things well. Thank you, Jason. Kevin? Yeah, we read that and, and our staff, uh, The Making of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. We're reading right now a book by Thaddeus Williams from Biola on social justice, which I think is really good, trying to uh, say what's, what are good impulses in biblical justice and also critiquing what's wrong with how social justice is often conceived of today. We're doing that. Um, I've read... Uh, in the, the three volumes of John Murray, somehow I'd missed before, there's like a 180-page biography of John Murray from Ian Murray. Banner, got, you, you gotta pull that out and be a separate Banner book. Uh, so that was really good to read, and I'm reading another Banner book. I'm reading through the two volumes of uh, David Calhoun on Princeton Seminary. And then one other, not a Christian book, but any good biography written well uh, can teach you things about yourself. So I really commend Andrew Roberts' big biography of Winston Churchill, which came out a couple of years ago. I listened to a good part of it on Audible so I could get through it. It's like a thousand pages. It's really, really well done. And there's so many parts I thought, oh, I'm learning something just about myself and human beings, and let alone history, just by a really good biography of someone. Thank you, Kevin. David? Uh, yeah, I, I've uh, just finished, I've been uh, remiss in not getting to this earlier, but just finished the second volume of Dalmore's two volumes on Whitfield that is, they're both magnificent. Um, and so that's really helpful. Uh, and I, I devoured, one of my mentors was Donald MacLeod um, of the Free Church of Scotland and so Scottish theology and also his recent little book on the free offer of the gospel, compel them to come in. Donald can be quirky and, and journalistic and provocative, and that's part of why I love him. And uh, his prose, he, it's a masterclass in 
how to write well theologically and pastorally, and uh, especially the second of those two, compel them to come in, made, made me want to preach. And uh, that's, a, that's a good book for me if it makes me want to get up and call sinners to come to Christ. So, Harry? What we're now reading. Oh, okay. Recently. Well, I've done a deep dive. Maybe it kind of came through a little bit last night, but I've done a deep dive into Machen um, because of my study of progressive Christianity. And I, I believe, and having come to a conviction that the supremacy of the scripture uh, is ultimately under attack in progressive Christianity and Christian liberalism, it was through the inerrancy denying sufficiency in progressive, it's through sufficiency denying inerrancy, ultimately. But having done that, I, have, I commend uh, the, the biography. I've read um, um, uh, Hart, uh, Daryl Hart's uh, Defending the Faith. Uh, and um, then, um, give me the title. I can't remember the title, but I've just started into the republication of the various um, addresses that Machen did, and it's now, uh, what's the title, Dave? Uh, we've just published it, Westminster. Radio address. Uh, we, that's it. Oh, I've just started. That is so rich, and, um, and that's been greatly helpful. Um, I read, I try to read uh, regularly out of the four volumes on John Murray, uh, on just on a regular basis. I try to do that. My devotional that I, I'm doing right now is, I highly recommend it. It's from one of the Puritans called Morning Exercises by Reverend William Jay. And there's a kind of a, a New American Standard version of it that would help you if Puritanese is a little bit of a difficulty for you. And uh, so those are the things that I am right now, um, uh, right now devoted in. But one that I've just finished uh, that really ties in. I told David I really felt his address was an up-to-date reprise of Samuel Miller's book, Doctrinal Integrity, uh, that I'm hoping uh, one of our publishing companies is going to republish. Uh, Doctrinal Integrity, where he develops how um, the, our vows to the standards really is the profession of faith of a gospel minister. And I highly recommend that book to you. John. I uh, just read Vody Bauckham's new book, Fault Lines, which is uh, a kind of one-two punch against, against the social justice movement um, taking place today. Uh, he is uh, fair in the book. Uh, he um, uh, footnotes it heavily with various uh, reading he's done. Um, uh, I'd, I'd say it's a good book to, uh, to take a look at and to read. Um, I've been back in Of Sin and Temptation by John Owen, uh, in part preparing for our time here. Um, also, uh, Andrew Roberts has become one of my uh, favorite authors. I, I read Churchill um, and uh, been recommending to everybody. And I'm now in Napoleon, uh, and uh, I, I agree uh, with what Kevin has said. It doesn't need to be just Christian biography that we read and learn from. There are writers like Roberts who help us um, to reflect upon our own lives and leadership um, and yeah just a few other things but Fred other than Roberts Rules of Orders what are some of the new books you've been reading lately 
I have been reading with a group of young men, and not so young men in our congregation, uh, J.C. Rowell's Practical Religion. And that has been a benefit to me, first, because Ryle is excellent. Yeah. And secondly, because he, uh, it's like he sees down into your soul and, and grabs a hold of you. But the other thing that's been encouraging to me is, uh, you know, um, as my wife will testify to, I am a glass uh, half empty kind of guy. Um, I tend to be discouraged at times. And when you read Ryle, you're saying to yourself, did he write this last week? This problem that he's recognizing, it's with us right now. And I think it's helpful, it's one of the reasons why biographies are helpful is because you realize now is not the worst time ever in the history of the world to be a Christian. It's like what it's like to be a Christian uh, throughout all of history. And the problems repeat themselves because people are sinners. And so I really, really have enjoyed going through that. David? One of the things about this conference, actually, has been such a blessing to me is, you know, if you have sat and listened to what we've heard this last couple of days, it's not just a criticism after one after another. This has been a very constructive and encouraging um, set of talks. And to that end, I have recently gone back to Old Princeton myself and have been reading Samuel Miller and some there's the you know there's multiple places you can find this but i've been going through the two volume set of some of the great content that please go back and read it is incredibly pertinent to our situation here and now so i've been i've been very much delighting in that a second book of a very different ilk i just sent to the members of the board at westminster um and that is a book by pierce hibbs Some of you have begun to read Pierce over the last several years. He's been writing a lot. This is by far his best book. It's it's called The Book of Giving, and it is actually a study of the intra-Trinitarian relations of God as it relates to how that impacts us as the people of God. It is written brilliantly, accessibly, and delightingly. So read it. I strongly encourage it. Just a few weeks ago, David Calhoun, a beloved historian within the PCA, longtime faculty member at Covenant, went home to be with the Lord. Uh, He recently released Swift and Beautiful, The Amazing Stories of Faithful Missionaries. It's a very accessible uh, missionary biography book, uh, some of whom have lived very recently, and I would commend that to you. Um, Dr. uh, Dr. Reeder, for what purpose do you rise? A friendly amendment. Uh, the um, <laughs> I just I, I left one out that um, I, I, I love the book that was just put out um, uh, taking RC's a very um, useful um, exposition of the confession and and James Boyce's foundations of the faith. Truths we confess. Truths we confess on, on on the RC and foundations of the faith on yeah. Jim Boyce. But my pastoral mentoring group, I am walking through Sinclair Ferguson's, uh, and some as pastors and teachers. That is a gold mine. Really good. Please take advantage I of that. I think Ligonier has just adapted the truths we confess into a one volume as well. John, we gave that, that is a giveaway. That we we gave that away at our luncheon last that's year, right. I think, or two That's years. right. Um, 
David, you uh, are an academic dean at one of our beloved uh, seminaries that feeds into the life of the PCA. We've spoken some the last few days about progressive tendencies. Um, speak to us about what you're seeing in terms of the type of men that are particularly thinking about men going into the MDiv track. Uh, is this something that you see as an academic dean? And is there anything about it that we shouldn't be alarmed about? Is there something we should learn from some of the new tendencies we see of seminary students? Well, let me frame my answer first by, I think one of the great privileges of serving at an institution like Westminster, RTS, Greenville, any of those places, is that we actually get a window into the promises of God being fulfilled. When Christ says he is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he actually also, each generation, provides the leaders, the officers, as Ephesians 4 points out, that God not only gives gifts to men, but those officers of the church are his gift to the church. And so we get to taste of that day in and day out, year in after year after year. So I actually have I perhaps a, an overly optimistic view about the future of the church because of that privilege. With that said, I would also say that I think our students come in with a, a great deal of even just academic lacking from past generations, just with the nature of way public education and university education has gone. But I would say coupled with that, I'm tremendously encouraged by the zeal for addressing these sorts of issues head on. And we're really seeking to help our students think through these things biblically and be able to speak to them boldly and articulately. Kevin, from the RTS perspective, would you weigh in on that? Well, I just feel so privileged and I'm, I'm, I mean, maybe self-selecting, they're, they're at RTS, they're in my class and all the other, you know, good professors, they're at Christ's Covenant. I feel like student after student, I'm excited that you're going into ministry. We have nine or ten pastoral interns at our church that meet with different pastors and I meet with every two or three weeks and uh, we got one with us here and I just think, I, I'm excited for each and every one of you to go into ministry, not that they won't have challenges and make mistakes, but the questions that I get in class are good. I, I don't feel like men are coming in with, with axes to grind. They're eager to learn. They want to have the reform faith. They want to do it in a winsome way. So we need to be really thankful. And I, I remember hearing Don Carson say, after 40 years of teaching at Trinity, he was saying those last five or 10 years, he felt like he had never had as good a students as he had, just hungry, not upset about the historic Christian faith. So there's so many reasons to be encouraged with the sort of students that are coming to our seminaries, being produced, and that hopefully we have an opportunity to build into. Kevin, I'm going to keep it with you for just the next question. Um, part of the context of this conference is the human sexuality debate. Partly, uh, you have dealt with that along with Brian Chappell, who's in the room, and others. Um, would you speak to us a little bit about the report that you are a part of, and what's maybe a big idea that you want us to, to take from that? Yeah, hopefully... Um Tim Keller and I might have it, you know, Tim's undergoing cancer treatment, so he won't be able to be at GA, but hopefully we might have an opportunity for the two of us to record something and show something because we were um, 
we were going to do that last year. And if you haven't read the report, again, as Harry said about the report, he was a part of, I am partial to it. I think it's a, it's a good report. And in particular, the preamble and the, the 12 statements, you know, our Presbyterian reports can be very long and they're helpful to some degree, but we really wanted to say with those 12 statements at the beginning that makes about six pages, you could read through these with your session. You could walk through them in one Sunday school class. And we really wanted to have a statement and then a nevertheless, which is just trying to provide the nuance. Here's what we're not saying this, because I do think sometimes we can talk past each other where there may be agreements, but we're just, we're, we're sensitive to different dangers on different sides. And so, I mean, I would say I was, you know, you can look at the seven names who are on that committee and there's different people who have different inclinations and lean in different ways. But I do want to commend Brian if he's still here. He led the group very well, very effectively, very fairly, and got us to the heart of the issue. And I was, I think all of us were pleasantly surprised on all that we were able to agree on, and in particular in those 12 statements, which we went through very, many times, dozens of hours. The, the, the rest of the report is important too, but it's kind of a report, it's kind of a canon within a canon because those 12 statements we did go through line by line and said, okay, we gotta find a different word there. And we really wanted to draw from the best of our reform theology. So there's lots of footnotes to the confession, to Turretin, to Owen, to say, you know, in a lot of ways, the sexuality stuff, same-sex attraction, that's a new discussion, but it's really about reformed anthropology and a reformed doctrine of sanctification. And it's all there. It's, it's all there in Turretin already <laughs> and in our confessions. So um, it was a lot of work, and, and I'm, I'm pleased with what we were able to produce, and hopefully we'll serve the church. David Strain, we've gotten this question in different ways from a number of different men. I'm going to send this one to you. Uh, a, a man who's here, he's a, he's a teaching or a ruling elder. He, he's in a presbytery in which he feels that he's alone confessionally. And he described his uh, presbytery as having a view of subscription lower than good faith subscription. He's asking for practical advice. What should he do? Uh, there's multiple levels of that. There's the uh, feeling alone piece, and and there's the being a presbyter. And sometimes being a good presbyter might mean that at least in terms of the brothers nearest to him geographically, he'll continue to be a little bit alone. Um, I, I do think that one of our temptations in situations like that is to see our job as always to go to war. Um, and so pick your battles really carefully, decide which hills you have to die on, and before you go to war, serve on a, you know, unglamorous committee. 
um, like Fred was urging with regards Surely to the courts of the church. has controversies that need to be dealt with. No, no doubt, but even at the presbytery level, you know, there do something with other elders te teaching and ruling that um, you can stand with them and, and they may come to see you a little differently. They may have yeah. labeled you. Yeah. Um, and when, they, when you know them and they know you, yeah. you can disagree, but the, the temperature of the disagreement can be better. So you've got to work at the relational piece yeah. and you've got to pick your battles. Um, but, but the aloneness thing, I think uh, many of us have, have experienced that over the years where we feel like our deepest affinities are not with the people closest to us geographically and we feel isolated. Um, uh, Jason spoke about our company of pastors um, and Twin Lakes Fellowship. Uh, those, those are non-geographically dependent and will provide, as they have for me, as they have for some of us on this uh, platform and many of us in this room, um, a home, a, a network of deep friends. My closest brothers in ministry are Twin Lakes Fellowship men and my band of brothers men. Indeed. And uh, I, in many ways, I'm still in the ministry because of them yeah. under God. Yeah. And, and I'm able to go to Presbytery and to General Assembly and to labor and to be a churchman yeah. because I am not, maybe it's wrong of me to say it this way, but I think we can be naive in expecting that the structures that are a given, Presbytery and Assembly, should be uh, the places of our deepest friendships and affinities. And then when they're not, it's terribly disappointing. Yeah. I'm well, going to shift yeah. from, thank you for that, I'm going to shift to Fred now. Fred, we've got a number of questions about the SJC. Apparently, it's a very mysterious topic in our audience today. Um, so, I'll give you a really technical one and, and then kind of a broad one. What does the SJC do? That's the technical question. And then, uh, more specifically, um, why does the SJC seem to defer to lower courts when theological matters are before them. Could you answer those succinctly for us? So let me start with the, the, the initial technical question. The SJC is the commission of the General Assembly. So what that means is just like when, you, uh, when a man is ordained by a presbytery, the whole presbytery doesn't go to the church. They appoint a commission to be the presbytery at the ordination service. And so the SJC serves in terms of our graded courts and discipline as the General Assembly. Now, you may say, well, why is that? You told me, uh, Fred, there's only 24 men. Uh, and that's because uh, I think, at least wisely, um, our fathers uh, in the PCA determined that it would not be efficient and or uh, well done to have the assembly deal with Cases. Now, there was I, a time where we did that. Now, yeah. for example, uh, this year alone, I have read in excess of 3,000 pages of a record of the case, some of which is very technical and having to deal with various issues, um, including, you know, things like the study committee report and parsing things out. And it just seems to me it's not realistic to expect 1,500 men to read thousands of pages 
and then have a reasoned debate in the assembly. Now, the SJC is still accountable because we have vows and we're elected. So that's, that's the purpose that we serve. With respect to why there's deference, I think in some measure it's built into our version of Presbyterianism. So if I can, there's a little bit of inside baseball here, but you all know that there's a, somewhat of a difference between the PCA and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in our form of government, not culture. And so the PCA is often referred to as a grassroots Presbyterianism or a bottom-up Presbyterianism with courts not acting for lower courts. That is baked into all of our book, including things as important as congregations own their property and presbyteries can never steal it from them, as happens in the mainline church, even today. And what that means is that view of looking at Presbyterianism has higher courts reluctant to act for lower courts or to speak for them on the things that are closest. Now, the area of most controversy about there is theological issues because when you're talking about the credibility of a witness or testimony, it's, it's clear you go down. Yeah. Uh, and so there is, there is a debate, even within the SJC, as to what it means to interpret the Constitution and to give deference. Um, that's not unlike you will see all the time in our United States Supreme Court. And almost, if you're a follower of things like the U.S. Supreme Court, the side that gets to set the test for the case often determines the outcome of the case. And that can be. And so I would just encourage you, there are good men that I serve with, men who I vote with every meeting, and men who I vote on the opposite side of every meeting, and we enjoy each other's company, and we, uh, we fellowship together. I appreciate your prayers. Um, we try not to do things in secret, but we also try to protect the rights of people, who, and especially ministers who are in process. So uh, I'm not sure that's completely satisfying. That's very helpful. Thank you. I'm going to go back to Jason now. Um, Jason, one topic that's been asked by a number of men is the notion of mortification of sins. And we're having conversations in the PCA about heinous sins, what the, our, our confessional language speaks of heinous sins. Um, the, the question is, how do you tell us someone is really mortifying a heinous sin? And I think the question has in view an ordained officer, a deacon, an elder, serving under authority within the church. Uh, so let me, let me relate that in the abstract down to you in the, in the personal. In your church setting, uh, a, a man has had, or a woman, has had a heinous sin. Previously, he or she has served. How do you as a pastor assess their progress in their faith not in a triumphalistic fashion, but in a progressing way, uh, how, do you, how do you assess how they're doing? And what are the criterias to allow them to serve again or not to serve again? Yeah, that is a, a difficult question uh, that we all have to wrestle with uh, as pastors and elders um, in our own local context. It's something that we're obviously wrestling with as a denomination regarding different things, and we all do in our presbyteries. Uh, chair our church and ministerial welfare committee, and we're often dealing with this uh, even in our own presbytery. You know, I think it at, at the base we have to say it comes down to walking alongside 
of that man or that woman. Uh, we will often, as a session at University Reformed Church, when we have someone that falls into a heinous sin, uh, and we place that person under discipline. So, for instance, if they are um, dealing with a case now where uh, someone will be suspended from the table, we always put together a care plan that surrounds that person. Uh, so where there are multiple layers uh, where we are walking alongside of them and continuing to minister to them. Uh, so there are different check-in points with different people that would have different perspectives uh, into this person's life. Uh, that then you have multiple avenues that are reporting back uh, to the session as a whole that yes, this person has indeed, we, we see this improvement in their life here. We see this commitment to Christ here. We see this delighting in Christ here. We see that they have remained pure in this area here. And it's coming from, from different corridors. Uh, so, you know, that could be a couple of men that are assigned, for instance, to meet with this person individually, uh, to ask the hard questions be somebody that's reading a book with them over here. It could be that they have a small group leader that uh, is reporting on their involvement in the small group. Uh, but different mechanisms like that with diff different people that are part of a holistic care team, I think is incredibly helpful on a local level. It gets more complex, it seems like to me, at a denominational level with some of the things that we're talking about. Uh, and we continually have to, I think, work through our courts of the church uh, at those smaller levels as much as we can because those are the people that know the people uh, and encouraging them. Hey, uh, just a few more questions, gentlemen. Harry, this is a, a reminder that we've got folks from all sorts of perspectives here with us today. Um, a person has written in in response to some of the personal piety talks that we had yesterday, that it's just really hard to do devotions for 30 minutes at a time. How would you encourage a person who's struggling to pursue the Lord and the length is an intimidating thing to them to hear? So when I was converted, somebody put into my hands the two volumes of, uh, um, that David mentioned um, on Arnold Dallimore, which was life-changing for me. I'm, I try to read about six biographies a year, and, um, and that, was, that was one of the most profound things. And, of course, I read that he got up, I think it's probably about 4 o'clock in the morning, had a three-hour devotion. So I said, well, I guess that's what I ought to do. And um, it really didn't last. Um, uh, I don't think I got past the first day. In fact, I don't think I got past the first 10 minutes. And then somebody put in my hands what I give to every member that joins Briarwood when they come through the pastor's inquirers class. Uh, it's a little thing put out. I think it was Navigators that first wrote it. It's called Seven Minutes with God. And the idea is let's start here and build. And uh, so that's what I do. And then I try to give helpful instruments to them, and they plan. And then I try to encourage them to build so that every five years you read through the Bible in your devotional life. Uh, and um, that's three chapters a day, 20 minutes a day, pretty much. So, I, in other words, we try to build up to it. And uh, that's pastorally how I handle that. I will say this. Um, so a little bit, 
I can't remember who said what about the, it, it somewhat resonated. But um, people ask me, and I, I, I'm doing William J. right now. I love table talk. I put that in the hands of people. I try to give them seven minutes with God. Then the next year, I try to get table talk, or I get them introduced to it during the year. Um, but um, one of the things in my personal life, I, I, I hope nobody brings charges up here. But on uh, Monday, my devotions are the text I'm going to preach that next Sunday. Now, I know everybody, you are not supposed to use your sermon prep time as your devotional time. Well, let me tell you, I'm not. What I'm trying to do is before I stand to pastorally preach that text to my people, I want to have preached it to myself uh, intentionally. So I'll do the Sunday morning Sunday um, on Monday, and I do the Sunday night on Tuesday, and then I'm back to William J. or Table Talk or whatever it is. Fathers and brothers and conferees, what a delight it's been uh, to be with you this week. I wish we could go on all afternoon. John, we have an event scheduled again after General Assembly in Greenville. Remind us the date on that. Yes, it'll be September the 25th, uh, Greenville, South Carolina. It'll be a, a day together uh, for concerned Presbyterians. Uh, all REs and TEs are welcome uh, how to would attend. You describe what we're going to do at that event? Yeah, it's been asked how will that be different than this, what we've been doing here. This has been more of a conference setting, uh, talks on various subjects to encourage you in your ministries and in your piety. Um, and it's going to be more of a forum. Uh, of course, you'll hear from some of the leaders of the GRN, but it'll be a time also to discuss uh, a positive way forward uh, to uh, consider what ways uh, we can serve within our presbyteries and within a general assembly uh, to receive wisdom uh, on, on that regard and to continue uh, the momentum that we have seen uh, begun here uh, this week. Thank you, John. We've had a number of questions about the conference uh, broadcast. It's our intention to get those edited and then up online just as soon as we can. Uh, I, I just can't thank, uh, Harry, you and your church again enough for what you've done for us. It's been extraordinary uh, to work with uh, the Briarwood folks, and uh, it's also been a joy to be with each of you this week. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope if you've come with your sessions or uh, with leadership or ministry people that it's, it's produced good conversations. We are hopeful for the PCA, and I think each man on this stage is desirous to work uh, for God's glory in it and through it. And uh, we hope to be able to gather again in Greenville and in other settings in the months uh, to come.